Good afternoon and welcome to Lunchtime Shares with Kevin, where we add value to people's lives happening every day at 12 on ebizradio.com. Joining me for the Lunchtime Coaching segment today, we have a very, very interesting conversation to be had with uh, uh, coming from Nomatu Consulting, where there's inclusion, diversity and belonging, which literally equal alignment. Please welcome Managing Director Samkelo Blom. How are you, Samkelo? I'm fine, Kevin, and thank you very much for this opportunity and looking forward to our discussion, our chat around diversity, inclusion and belonging. So, Kelly, so I'm going to, you know, kick it off straight away. You know, we, we've heard this diversity thing and we've heard it for a number of years now. And I think, you know, to a large degree, people have gone to the point of having a bit of a tick box exercise. And um, but, you know, there's so much there's a, there's an in-depth to this. Um, and one of the first things that you you sort of shared with me was the inclusivity of leadership um, versus excluding leadership. Mm -hmm. So don't you want to sort of uh, hash it out for us? Give us some idea of who you are, what you do, and then straight into this conversation, because I, I think it's a, uh, it's a really interesting topic. Yeah, just a brief intro about myself. Uh, as you already said, I own Nomatu Consulting, uh, born and bred in the hills and the valleys of the Eastern Cape, arrived in Cape Town in 1992, did my degree at UCT, I've worked in nine different companies, some of them JSE, also worked at a university, also did some research work as well. I've done human resources work. I've done, I've headed up learning and development. And for five years, I was a head of transformation. And then the last six years, I was just a group HR executive. And that's where the passion for diversity, inclusion and belonging came in, in mm -hmm. terms of how diverse were organizations and also how can we bring diversity but mostly, as you've alluded, how can we bring inclusion in organizations? And I agree with you when you say it becomes a tick box exercise because people say, yes, we do. People report that we do have so many black people in our company. We do have so many black managers or so many women or so many disabled people, but that is not enough. The issue is having them. How do we maximize that diversity? How do we make it work that mix in our organization? When I've got millennials, when I've got people who come from different backgrounds and I'm a leader, what practices, what behaviors, what policies can we put in place so that everyone who works for us, they feel included? And I think for me, that's, that's the trick. That's the most challenging part when we work with organizations because they do tick the box, but how do we make it work? Absolutely. And, and, I th and that's, you know, leads us to that point where, where we started off with uh, inclusive leadership and mm. versus exclusive leadership. Mm. But you want to give us an idea of what that is? I think, you know, we, we know ex uh, exclusion is mm. such an important part mm. of, of leadership, mm. but I don't think anyone is even aware of when they are actively excluding mm. in leadership style or, or being an exclusive leader. Mm. Like, how are they excluding the, um, the, the, the staff and they don't even realize. I, 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 and you are right. I don't think many people deliberately and intentionally exclude staff. And I, I like the point that you've said, some people sadly, they are not aware that actually my behavior. So let me give a good example. If I'm an MD or I'm a team leader, I'm running a meeting and there are about 11 people in that meeting. And one person makes a comment that is very valuable, but I'm silent, I say nothing about that. Then four minutes later, 
someone makes a comment that is similar to that with the same example. And I use words like, that was great, that was brilliant, I like that. Mm. I have just excluded the other person without me being aware. And because we are human beings, Kevin, we tend to be close to those whom we relate with. And sometimes then we then exclude other people, more so at work. Sometimes we, even when we do interviews, where we're doing an interview for an accounting manager, interview from, uh, for an XQA, from, from a Java developer, we start talking to the candidate, we find out that he's or her child went to the same place as our child, or they come from the same place as we, or they went to UWC or UCT. And then we say, we kind of like him. What are we doing now? Because we like this other one, other people in our subconscious, we begin to exclude them. So to go back to what you said, when we are excluding, we are not always aware. Sometimes it's our policies of our company, which we've had for so many years. Remember, our company might be 10 or 15 or 20 years. So we've had one policy of doing things that has worked for us. But now there are black people in our company. There are disabled people in our company. There are people who are gay and lesbian and transgender in our company. Do those policies speak to them as well? Our challenge as managers is, are we able to listen to that and include those other people as well? So if somebody works for our company, wants to do something, is that in line with our policy? Or do we say, no, it's against the policy? So sometimes we'll even use words like, in order to apply for a bazaar in our company, you must have worked for five years. So now please bear with me here, Kev. If you've employed me as a programmer and I'm there on month number one, but on year two, I need to learn uh, or I need to be Microsoft certified or Cisco certified. Are you saying to me, I must still wait for five years before I get at that accreditation? The policy says, or the policy says, only when I'm five years can I apply for that. Yeah. So now you want to talk the person and say to me, no, sorry, Samkelo, you must have, but I'm saying I need this for me to be a developer. So it's that constant awareness of what pro uh, practices, what policies, what ways of doing things. Like in some organizations, you find that talent management and promotion is not discussed in the boardroom. It's discussed somewhere else, whether on a hunting trip or on a boat trip, or sometimes even at the airport lounge. People say, I kind of, I've got this project coming up. Would you like to head it up? You are excluding other people. You are discussing a project to promote someone in your organization, in an airport lounge, not in a boardroom, giving everyone what? A fair chance. So I think, you know, and it's it's one of the questions that come to mind because it's something that I, I'm mm. currently working on at the moment is, mm. Uh, don't you think this also just lends itself to our own cognitive bias? We, you know, we we it, uh, we have biases that 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 are culturally driven. We have biases that are. I mean, the history of this country speaks to so many biases that we that we instinctively have against uh, each other. Um, and yet, uh, I do it almost in habit formed. And if I'm not having that that active awareness around how I am being biased and how I am excluding, mm -hmm. um, you know, I could be left behind at the end of the day. Yeah, 100%. And we all have those biases. The scary part is when people go on training for unconscious bias training. So, Kev, when me and you attend a course on unconscious bias training, sometimes they will teach us about our religion, about our culture. So you will live there, Kev, knowing more about some Kelo's culture, knowing more about yours. But what does it mean in terms of the workplace? So now I've learned this is Kevin's background, Kevin's religion or, or behaviors, but how does that apply to work? Being aware of a bias is not necessarily the only solution. The other solution is what do I do with that bias now that 
I'm aware of it. And we don't deal with that. So we go on this training, we learn about unconscious bias, that it's in the subconscious, but we don't do anything to say actively, to say, how do I engage with that bias? So for me, I'm, I'm more than just attending training on unconscious bias. I'm more on how does this bias apply when we are running a project management meeting? Yeah. How does this bias apply when we're looking at the suppliers that our company employs? How does this bias apply when I'm either recruiting or I'm promoting someone? How does this bias apply when Samkelo is doing Kevin's performance review? Mm. So for me, I'm making it more practical. Learn yeah. the bias, but bring it into the world of work as well. Absolutely. I, I love that you mentioned and giving us that practical example. I think that's exactly the point, right? Because like you say, we hear this, we, we, we have these, uh, these ideas and information about cognitive bias, but when it comes to the practicality of it, um, we, we often don't, we don't know what it is and, and we, we don't know uh, how to, how, how to use it effectively. Mm. But I mean, on the point to, um, the difference between a leader and a manager mm. can uh, you know what is the difference can mm. i still be a, a, a can i be a, a manager and a leader or mm. are you just a leader or are you just a manager mm. what are those differences and how yeah, do this, I yeah this this is a very uh, ongoing debate I, my sense is that you can be both a manager gets things right on time ah it's about control it's about planning a manager and you need a manager you need a manager or there will be chaos. Yeah. The one thing I like about leaders is that they inspire us to do things that we never thought we could do. Yes. A leader always challenges us. A leader always stretches us. A leader always has uncomfortable discussion with us to the extent that when the leader feels that my talent and my skill are no longer serving the purpose of the organization, he or she will have that discussion with some Kelo. So a leader is not afraid of having uncomfortable discussions. With the manager, it's control. A manager tells me the policy. A manager asks me, why am I late? A manager wants the report for the work done. Mm. And the manager values me for working long hours. So the fact that I was at work from seven up until seven in the evening, a manager always ticks on that, but is never concerned what am I doing in those 12 hours. A leader is open to discuss what am I doing, is also open to being challenged. A manager manages, not all managers, some managers, Kevin, manage through fear and control. Yeah. I've got power, I've got authority, I'm the team leader, I'm yeah. the supervisor, I'm going to make you feel my authority. Yes, you must do this because this is what I said. And there's no discussion. A manager, Kevin, can never admit when he's made a mistake. Because admitting that I've made a mistake is a sign of weakness. Mm -hmm. I'm undermining myself before staff. A leader will be the first to say, I blew it up. I did yeah. not hear appropriately. I made a mistake. That's a sign for me of a leader. To answer your question, can you have both? Yes, you can have both. In fact, yeah. you need, in fact, you do need both of them. But in my work, I find that people who lean more on management, they struggle with inclusion and inclusive leadership. And their argument, they will use words like, uh, I joined this company 10 to 20 years ago, and I've had to work so hard to be where I am. So there is no way then that things are going to be changing. So managers tend to use their past as a reference point. 
not understanding that in the new world of work, when Kevin and Samkelo come to work, they bring their whole of themselves. They bring their beliefs, their emotions, their interests to the place where. Whereas in the olden days, they will say to us, leave yourself at the gate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So, I'm gonna, you know, as you're talking now, so that leads to, to this next question, because I think, you know, it's still today, uh, um, you speak about, you know, a leader has to have the, has to have the ability to have difficult conversations and you know we have a history and a past that is that is quite touchy in south africa mm. so is it is it kosher uh to to or politically correct to speak about race should we be doing this uh is there a context that we can be doing this what what is the what is the preference what do we what do you suggest yeah I, my challenge in in south africa because i also do some consulting work for global companies outside South Africa. It's amazing when we deal with global clients that we deal with issues around leadership, around the culture, the race is there. Sometimes in South Africa, not all of us, we tend to see everything through the lenses of the race. So because you are white and black, that becomes the prisoner of our discussion. We don't go beyond that. You are a father, I'm a father. You've got a family, you've got goals and you've got interests as well. You've also got insecurities as well. So for me, we sometimes get trapped on the race. We see everything with the racial lenses. I do acknowledge the past. I do acknowledge the race, but there is more to a human being than the race. And, and, and I'll be correct you, there are some companies, some organizations which are still challenged on the race front even when they seem to be doing the right thing, but the way they are doing it, it's actually playing in the criteria of race. Let me give you a good example. Head of a finance of a company I used to work at, we employed an African female disabled as a junior accountant. So the lady is not performing, is not delivering. The, the head of finance will come to my office and says, hey, Samkelo, is it okay if I discuss the performance issue with her? I don't want to be seen as though I'm being racist. I said, race has got nothing to do we have a performance issue here someone is not delivering someone is not bringing us output the same will do for a white employee for an indian employee also applies in fact we are doing this employee a disfavor by not discussing this issue and you carrying on about race you are missing the main issue so yes to answer your question let's talk about race but may race be not the limiting issue. Sadly, Kevin, there are some people where it's to their advantage that we get trapped and discuss race because then we discuss power, victimhood, and all. That is why they bring the race discourse and narrative to us all the time because they want us to be blinded by race as though that's the only thing. With the millennials, race is not an issue with them. It's like, let's perform, let's work. And the scary part about millennials if you don't like the web, they resign and they move on. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. And I think that's so true, right? Because at the at the at the core of this is that we're human. Mm. Like we're human, and there's there's facets of my life that are that are that are uh, that that are part of who I am and mm. that show me who who I you know tend to be in the world and who I choose to be and who I where I belong. Mm. Um, and if we just play the race card. Uh, you know, it, it, it narrows that conversation so much uh, and you're kind of going, but there's so much more to us mm -hmm. than this race, right? Yeah. But, you know, th what's interesting about this, uh, some kind of, so um, what about becoming a popular leader, right? You know, sometimes 
you you uh, you want to you want to get friends on your side. You want you want to find that that confirmation bias. So you you seek out you know uh, people to jump on the bandwagon as they, as they would say. And the more confirmation I have, and then I you know if I become a popular leader and people are likable, or at least I'm a likable leader. Um, Am I skewing the 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 outcome? Um, should I should I still be forceful and still challenging? Um, like, where do I find or, you know leaders out there in the world? Like, where do they find that medium ground of mm. being, you know, proactive and inspiring and challenging, mm. yet um, someone who is likable and and connect? You know, you have a connection with them. Yeah, I think the, the moment we want to be popular, I then say we now want to play in the gallery, in the stage. We now want people to clap for us. And me and you, Kev, we know very well that 10% of people in this world are not going to like us. So the moment we go in that, we now are managing by popularity, by favoritarism, and not everyone is going to like. Kevin, in my career as a Black South African growing up, the best managers for me are the ones who've had uncomfortable discussions. I remember a gentleman who was my boss at UCT. His name is Rob Moore. He gave me the most shocking, the most painful feedback. Two things he told me. One, when you are late, you are disrespecting those who've arrived on time. I'll be honest with you, Kevin. I never saw it like that. Yeah. That was fresh data given to me because I thought I was late. I was delayed or what? He says, no, when you are late, you are undermining and disrespecting those who've been there on time. That was a shock for me. Yeah. Then the other one that really, really killed me, because remember now I'm like, my second year I'm at UCT. He says, you have a culture of entitlement. You want things to be done for you. Oh, wow. Have that hit me like a ton of bricks. As obviously I was in denial when he said that. Obviously my guns came blazing but yeah. for him. But when the more I sat and I filtered the feedback and I understood the feedback, the more a better, a better I was. So to answer your question, at Noma, do we say when you are an inclusive leader, you are authentic. Mm. So you discuss even the uncomfortable issue, the issue that is not uh, kosher with the other person. So inclusive leaders will bring up performance, will bring up delivery, will also bring up the issues that are below the surface. Popular leaders, they live by the approval of the people whom they manage. So if everyone says, boss, well done, you are the great boss, they remember our birthdays, and they say, boss, can I make you coffee? They feel good. But remember, the employees are giving us the data and the insights that they want us to hear but then are they really being honest and we create that with employees when the people who report to us are always giving us the feedback that we want to hear we should be worried <laughs> we should be concerned because why am i getting the data and the feedback yeah that i want you know and when we ask people questions like can you please tell me which areas of my leadership that i could improve on and when there is silence that silence for me and you, Kevin, that should be a clue. Why is it taking more than two minutes for them to give Sam Kelo and Kevin feedback about how they lead? That silence, they are saying, there is no way I'm going to be telling you, boss, because I know that if I tell you now, my salary, my increase, my job is going to be on the line. No, you're a great boss. In fact, you inspire us. No, you motivate us. And yeah. we feel good. Yeah. 
You know, I, I, it leads me to a, to a, a thought of, of something that's also occurred to me. It was someone in my world that some, you know, I, I came to a presentation the one day and I was running late and, you know, there was traffic and, mm -hmm. and I probably could have been on time if I, you know, if I planned better and got there, did the whole presentation and, uh, and, he, and he thanked me. He was very kind. Mm -hmm. He said to me, just one thing, he said, when are you going to realize that you need to start taking yourself seriously? Mm. I said, well, what do you mean? What do you mean? I'm mm. like, yeah, I've got the presentation. Mm. I was dressed up in a tie. I was doing mm. my thing. And he said to me, you know what? Mm. You were late for my, 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 this meeting. Mm. You wasted my time. Mm. And he said, the moment you start taking yourself seriously, that is when people will start taking you seriously. 100%. And it leads me to, you know, exactly to that, what you were saying, because, you know, it's so relevant and you think that sense of entitlement, you mm -hmm. think, well, you know, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm, I'm showing up and, you know, but you're kind of going, no, but where's that? Where do you get that sense of entitlement? Mm. You know, it's not okay that, that you don't have that absolute respect for other people. Mm. You know, so, but I mean, it leads me to this question. Like when I am uh, an, an inclusive leader, mm. how will staff experience me? I mean, you, you have such background, you have such knowledge where mm. you come from and, um, mm. What are some of those key things that, that, you know, when I am an inclusive leader, what am I going to start noticing? What is the staff going to be doing? And mm -hmm. what are some of those clues that you you can share? One, when I'm an inclusive leader, people who report to me will always know where they stand with me. Mm. They will always know with us. So they won't have to guess or see a gesture of me say, hey, can, I, can you come to me on this project? Or can you join me for this meeting? Because that becomes a sign now. People who report to me, they always know where they stand with me, whether it's good or bad. Two, when I'm an inclusive leader, I'm always listening than hearing. Mm -hmm. So when I get feedback, I try to unpack and to listen to what, what insights, what data are they giving, what analytics are they giving me in the comment. Three, when I'm an inclusive leader and it's time for performance review, long, long before they walk in that room, they know their score. Whereas if you are not inclusive, the whole night I'm stressing, I wonder what score am I going to get, which then speaks to my bonus and my salary increase. Yeah. When I'm an inclusive leader, uncomfortable, tense, conflict situations are not avoided. Mm. Whereas when I'm not inclusive, I will talk to my, I will talk to my other managers about how difficult it is to work with Samkelo and Kevin. But when I'm inclusive, I will say, can we please have this discussion? And this topic is not easy for me to discuss, but I need to talk to you about your time, about your output, or about the way you come across. When I'm an inclusive leader, I'll be inclusive even to the extent of telling you when it's time to exit the organization. Because I'm going to have a discussion with you and say, look, you've done very well for the organization, but where we're we going right now, I don't think that's where we want you to do. And I know the whole thing about labor law and all of that, but I've seen people who have honest discussion. They say, thank you for making me aware that I was actually becoming a furniture than becoming a value adder in the organization. Because now you've made them aware. And also you say, look, I can give you options. I can either do three months for you, or I can do this to help you to have a soft landing where you are going. But mm -hmm. inclusive leaders are the first ones to have discussions with us. And then lastly, inclusive leaders are always open to feedback, regardless of how that feedback comes. 
Because some of that feedback, I'll be honest with you, Kev, the more I work in inclusive leadership, some of that feedback is not nice. Yeah. Some of that feedback is not, is, when people give you that feedback, you think, how dare they say this? Because I thought I'm Mother Teresa, I'm Pope John Paul, I'm the world's best leader. And mm. this, I, I always say to leaders, ask yourself this question, how do people experience you? So we're not asking what is it that you do, how best you are. We're asking the men and women you work with, how do they experience you? That's a tough question. Yeah, and a tough question that a lot of people don't necessarily want to have, right? <laughs> yeah. So now, uh, one of the one of the things that sort of stand out with everything you're saying here, are there measurements to this? Like, can we see real business impact when we are in having an active inclusivity in our environment or, or is it just a, a sort of a fad a flavor of the month kind of mm. approach like like are there real tangible um, results and measurements that you can have with this when i work for an organization or for a team or a call center environment where there's no inclusive leadership there's no discretionary effort i come in at eight i will leave at four o'clock mm. and i will do what i can do i will never exceed two yeah. When there, is no when, there is no inclusive, when there is no inclusive leadership, there's a lot of time on tension, on suspicions and perceptions, and those things, they erode. When there's no inclusive leadership, then there's a lot of verbal and written warnings. Mm. And now we're spending a lot of time in disciplinary hearings, a lot of time at the CCMA. And that's, that's time. Having a disciplinary hearing is not only the hour we are doing it, it's preparing for it. Also, it's the tension and negative vibe that it brings. Many people listen to this discussion. They know what it costs to do a disciplinary hearing. So when we are not inclusive, we're spending a lot of time on these hearings, on this verbal warning. So we are managing by authority, by rule. So you were late. Here's a verbal warning. Here's a final written warning. I will see you in, 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 a, disciplinary, in, a, in a disciplinary hearing. Also, when there is no inclusive, um, when there is no inclusive leadership, performance and productivity, they, they suffer. In organizations with the diversity and inclusion, McKinsey already told us that performance and delivery, they go up by 33%. In innovation also improves as well. Not in the first two years, by the way. In the first two years, when we build diverse in, uh, organizations or teams, it's, it's, it's hard work. Mm -hmm. But as they, as, they, as they gel, as they work together, the forming and the storming, then they are more innovative they are more productive because there's nothing under the carpet. And also when we are inclusive, we are able to tap into other talent. Mm. So what happened at, uh, uh, in some, what happened at H&M, what happened at Clicks was a sign of a lack of diversity and inclusion. Because had there been somebody in the team, the person would have said, hang on, this is a great idea, great branding. It's not gonna fly. Yeah. Not gonna fly. Mm. And also it's one thing to, be, to say it's not gonna fly, it's another thing for what? For my voice to be heard as well. Yeah. And many organizations, they do have those people, but they suffocate and they stifle their voices. Hence, I said earlier on, when the people who report to me are tell, always telling me what I want to hear, then there's a problem. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, and it's a case of encouraging difficult conversations because then you you do, you learn and you, and you understand and you see a a different perspective and you know it's so important yeah i mean last question that we have uh just just to just to to round up today um why is inclusive leadership so hard why is it hard for people 
one it's hard because for the first time and that's a very good question it shifts us from iq to eq mm. emotional intelligence i don't know you about kev about you kev i'm a father with two girls i'm still struggling in the eq department because that's why it's hard because now we are shifting from 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 control we're shifting from planning we're moving into eq we now we're moving into transparency now we're moving into communication. Now we're moving into uncomfortable discussions. Now we're moving into how we plan, how we relate, how we socialize. That is why. And EQ is extra hard because EQ are tapping into a part of us that we've never tapped into before. And that is why it's always easy to shift into IQ. But Marshall Goldsmith says this in one of his great books. He says, what got you here will not get you there. Now, he's a guru on coaching. So his argument is saying your metric, your MBA, your 15 years of technical credibility, they got you to the role of a CEO of MD or team leader, but they won't take you beyond that. Because beyond that, Kev, it's about relationships. Beyond that, Kev, it's about communication. Beyond that, Kev, it's about seeking to understand the other person. So to answer your question, it's hard because it's EQ. It's hard because Brené Brown says, once we do inclusion, now we must be vulnerable. Now I must have a team meeting and say to my staff members, I made a mistake. Now I must ask my staff members, what things am I doing well? What things am I not doing well? And when they're saying to me, Kev, the things that me and you are not doing very well as managers, me and you, we need to watch how we react to that. Mm -hmm. So if so, if if Robert or Katlejo or or, or Jorgen start saying things about us, our leadership which is not right, what is our body language? Do we then interrogate Katlejo and Robin and Bronwyn and say, how how dare you say that? Uh, we think that's a figment of you. When we're doing that, we are now killing the feedback. So to answer your question, it's hard because it's EQ. If people had EQ, our work would be much more easier. Because the things we hear in our sessions are, my manager did not listen to me. Yeah. In this organization, I don't feel valued. I don't have a voice. That's EQ stuff. Yeah, you know, and I mean, because I do what I do as well, uh, some of the biggest themes in the world at the moment is, is based in EQ. You know, do you have the empathy? Do you have the vulnerability? Do you have the time? Do you make the time to sit down and just listen to someone and say, I acknowledge you, you matter mm. without you. I can't do what I'm doing and having those moments. So I absolutely love that. I, I love that you share that. So Gelo, um, I, I can clearly see we, we will get carried away and speak for four <laughs> hours. Yeah. Yeah. Before we, before we tell people where we can get hold of you and, and learn more, give us a summary of, of today and, and what are those tips and techniques that we can take away and, you know, that we should be considering in our environments as leaders today? If I'm a leader or I'm a team leader, or I'm a manager today, I should constantly ask myself, am I an inclusive leader? Am I listening to my staff? Do they give me feedback? How much is what you call exclusion? costing my organization? Is there a disabled person, a gay person? Is there a woman? Is there a young person working in my team, in my organization, who feels as though they don't belong? And how do I deal with that? And then second last, is there anything that my people are not telling me? Are they always telling me what I want to hear? 
And then the last important thing, what we've just spoken about is, is the HU work. That EQ work is, is hard. I'm Even I myself as a consultant, I'm constantly have to work on that EQ. Because Kev, even though we work in diversity and inclusion, that doesn't mean that we have it as well. We still have to learn other things and become better. So in closing for me is that emotional intelligence. Yeah, absolutely. So Kelo, thank you.